0: Please take your Bibles this morning and turn to Acts chapter 16. We are continuing our study from this wonderful book of Acts. In our study so far, Paul and Silas have reached Philippi, which was a leading city of the district of Macedonia, and it was a Roman colony. And after faithfully preaching the gospel there, and through no fault of their own, they find themselves in jail. They find themselves in prison. And they were first beaten, and then they were tossed into prison. And on top of that, they were, um, the jailer placed their feet in stocks to prevent them from moving around, as we read in the Scriptures. But despite these horrible, unjust, and tragic circumstances that they find themselves in, we will see in our text today they would praise the Lord under such difficult circumstances. So most of us in this room have never served time in jail, anybody want to know? Or um, well, we've probably never been lo- locked up in, in prison. But however, spiritually speaking, we have all been through what we might call uh, prison experiences in life. And times when the Lord has shut us up in affliction uh, for His own purposes at the time, times when we wondered where He was and why He was doing this particular thing to us. Um, All of us have been there, I'm sure, at some point. Some of you perhaps are even there this morning, wondering how you got here and when will this trial end in your life, wondering why, if God really loves you, these kinds of things are happening in your life. I'm sure you've asked those questions. Well, I might not have all those answers for you that um, we're looking for, but my prayer is that you'll find some encouragement from our passage of Scripture here this morning, That answer some of these questions. So please stand with me as we read our portion of Scripture this morning in respect to God's Word. Acts chapter 16, we will read from verse 25 to verse 40. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Lord, we ask for your help this morning as we study your word. We pray for your spirit, please, to teach us as he promises he would. But we ask that he would convict us where we need to be convicted, that he would comfort us where we need to be comforted. We pray that our response today would glorify you. Please teach us, Lord. We need your help. I need your help. As as I preach, I ask, Lord, that none of my words would fall to the floor today and that we would honor you. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So a week ago, I had the privilege of attending the the T4G in Louisville, Kentucky, together for the Gospel Conference. There were some wonderful speakers there. And thank you for praying for me while I was away and taking care of my family. Thank you to the elders who let me take the time to go and encouraged there at this conference, and one of the highlights for me was hearing and watching John Piper preach. I also got to see him uh, be interviewed by Mark Dever um, on, a, on a panel dis- discussion, and Mark Dever started the interview by asking John Piper, how are you doing? Now John Piper is 76 years old, and um, he has been battling with uh, prostate cancer. And he he, he said to Mark Dever, he said, well, I've learned to say that I think I'm doing well. And Mark asked him, what do you mean by that? And he says, well, I don't know physically how I'm doing because of the cancer, but in my soul, I am rejoicing. I'm rejoicing. Um, And I thought that was a wonderful way to to answer that question. Um, He said that in his spirit, he was rejoicing, but his body, he's not sure how his body is doing. Um, he even went on to write a book called Don't Waste Your Cancer. And this book started out as an article which he wrote to his church on the evening of his first cancer surgery. And in his book, he, he writes about cancer as an opportunity to glorify God. And he challenges those who are suffering with different diseases and physical pains, to use these afflictions to make much of Jesus during their times of suffering. John Piper has also famously said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And he wrote a book called Desiring God to Prove This Thesis. And he goes on to say in this book that if we want to glorify God, which is the highest goal for Christians... We must focus on finding joy in Him. Scripture commands us, and he uses Psalm 37 verse 4, Delight yourself in the Lord. And Psalm 34 verse 3 and 8, O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. O taste and see that the Lord is good. But how? How do we do this in difficult situations? That is the question. How do we glorify God when we are in pain or when we are being wronged or when we're being falsely accused or when we are being treated badly? Well, I believe our passage this morning really speaks into this dilemma that many of us have faced or many of us will face in the future. My first point this morning is from verse 25 to verse 33. We are to keep our joy. We are to keep our joy. Look at verse 25 there with me. Let me read that again. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. They were singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. I hope you notice in this passage that The persecution that Paul and Silas face led them to praise, which ultimately led the Philippian jailer to believe in Jesus Christ as his Savior. And I want you to see their attitude in the midst of this trial, in the midst of the suffering that they were going through. I think it's overwhelming. Look at verse 25 there. It says, And at midnight. So they couldn't sleep, obviously. Um, they had lots on their mind in the middle of a jail. What were they doing? It says at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed. They prayed. Instead of pouting, instead of feeling sorry for themselves, what were they doing? These men were praying. They gave their burdens to the Lord. I remember once when I went to jail, <laughs> I'm revealing all my secrets here. Um, was well, just for a short time, it was because of an unpaid traffic fine. And um, the police took me in the back of their police van and escorted me to a, to a prison cell. Um, praying is something that I did do in that jail um, for a very short time. But I was, I was more afraid than anything else. What happens if I have to wait until the weekend before my trial? And anyway, to make a long story short, it, was, it wasn't a very pleasant place to be. Um, but I did pray. I gave my burden to the Lord. And I think this is a valuable lesson for all of us. All of us. You know, when we are shut up in one of life's prison experiences, when it's dark and we are lonely or afraid, we need to learn first and foremost to call upon the Lord. You know, If we could learn to pray as our first response, we wouldn't be so anxious in our times of trial. We wouldn't be so worried when it comes to these things that we, we face. We notice that these, pers- these Paul and Silas were in pain. They weren't in a comfortable situation. Were they scared? I'm pretty sure that they were scared. Were they uncomfortable? Were they miserable? Yes, but still they did not allow their circumstances to defeat them. They went to God in prayer. And That is what we need to do when we are locked away in one of these Um, prison experiences that we often face. And then I love this in verse 25. Notice there, after they prayed, they sang praises unto God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Notice that there. The prisoners were listening to them. As they prayed before the Lord, the Lord began to lift their hearts. And prayer soon led to praise. Soon they were filled with praise and they began to sing songs to the Lord. They were probably singing a psalm out of Psalm 113, a halal psalm, which they were all familiar with. But as, they, as the Lord helped them in that prayer, they began to praise. They forgot about their circumstances. They forgot about their, their whereabouts. They forgot about their struggles, the, the, the discomfort that they were facing. And what did they do? They began to worship. They began to worship in the middle of their Trial. Paul and Silas were not singing so that they could be a good witness in this difficult situation, but they were a good witness in this difficult situation. They were singing because of the way the Lord had ministered to them during this difficult time. They were singing because their hearts were full of praise toward God and the the joy of His salvation. And of course, the overflow of their worship was indeed a witness, it was something strange for these unbelievers to hear. It was something alien for these unbelievers to witness. But that's how it always should be, isn't it, in our lives. And the world should see all the world should hear our joy in the Lord from the dungeon that we are facing. And they ought to ask, what's with these people anyway? Why are they rejoicing in such difficult situations? And that's when the door is open for us to tell them. That's when we tell them our lives back up the reality of the message. The trials we go to give us an opportunity for credibility. Credibility to speak into people's lives who are facing the same trials and tribulations that we face. And we are to point them to God as we worship Him, as we trust Him. And Luke notes that the prisoners were listening to them. He makes a point of telling us this in verse 25. And the truth is, they always are, isn't it? They always are. Those who are prisoners in Satan's domain of darkness are always watching those who are in the light. They are always watching and listening to the Lord's people, especially in our times of trials, especially when we go through difficult times, looking to see if there is indeed something different about God's children. If Paul and Silas had been having a pity party because their, their rights had been violated and they had been treated wrongly um, when they were just trying to serve the Lord, they would have been depressed and they would have been complaining. And they would have missed this great opportunity to be a witness for the Lord. And any time that our rights are are being violated, or any time that we are mistreated, you're probably looking at a wonderful opportunity for bearing witness to the Lord. I read a story years ago in the former Soviet Union. A criminal who later got saved and became a church leader, he wrote about his experience in this Soviet prison. And he says, Among the general despair... While prisoners like myself were cursing the authorities and even themselves to the point of cutting open our veins or cutting our stomachs or even hanging ourselves, the Christians, often with sentences of 20 to 25 years, did not despair. One could see Christ reflected in their faces and their pure, upright life, their deep faith and devotion to God their gentleness and their wonderful manliness became a shining example of life for thousands of us. And not many of us will ever go through what Christians in communist prisons had to endure. But the chances of us being mistreated or treated badly at work or even at home are very high. And with Paul, we should aim at doing all things for the sake of of the gospel Because the prisoners will be listening. They will be watching how we respond in difficult times. And we need to focus on joy in the Lord and not to forget our witness to the world around us. And when we are treated badly, keep our joy in the Lord. You know, a cheerful, joyous spirit does not depend on having wonderful, trouble-free circumstances. Unfortunately, that's what the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel teach. It's not what the Bible teaches. It depends on daily cultivating joy in the Lord. Our joy is not determined by how much money we have. It's not determined by whether we're healthy or unhealthy. It's not determined by anything else around us. It's not determined by our circumstances. It depends on cultivating joy in the Lord, keeping our focus on the Lord and not in this world. And Paul and Silas sang in prison. Prison didn't matter to them. That wasn't the point. They did not sing because they were led out of prison. They sang while they were still in the prison. And the only way that prison and, and mistreatment, and think of the, the punishment, the raw back that they got, was not a matter of concern for them. What was, was their delight in God that mattered more to them than anything else. As George Mueller puts it, he says, the chief business of every day is first of all to seek to be truly at rest and happy in God. Are you at rest and happy in God this morning? Are you at rest and happy in God on Monday morning when you go to work? And I emphasize this first point because it's foundational really to everything else that we look at in this passage. So many professing Christians are discontent people. They are grumbling people. They are complaining people. And like the children of Israel in the wilderness, they they think that they would be happier back in slavery in Egypt rather than to be with God and His provisions in the wilderness. Cultivating joy in the Lord every day is not an option. It's what we have to fight for. It is mandatory for all who know His salvation. And we have to keep our eyes on the Lord in these difficult situations. We have to remind ourselves of His character and His goodness. My second point we see in verse 26 to verse 36. We need to trust the sovereign Lord when we go through these times of trial and pain. When you are treated badly, trust the sovereign, all-powerful God to work for His glory. To work for His glory. I have a hunch that if most of us had to go through what Paul and Silas suffered, if we were praying at midnight in the jail our prayer would have been, Lord, please get me out of here. Please get me out of here. I'm fairly sure that Paul and Silas were not praying that way. I also think that if I was there when God had sent a a powerful earthquake that broke the the prison doors, I would have responded by by saying, okay, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm exiting as fast as I can. This is a sign from the Lord. I would have run for my life. But that's not the way they acted. It's not the way they responded. And the reason was is because that's not the way that they were praying. They weren't praying for this deliverance. They were praying for God to keep their hand on them during these difficult times. They were focusing their joy on the Lord. I think that if they were offering any petitions amongst their praises, it would have been, Lord, use this difficult situation, for the furtherance of your gospel. For the furtherance of your gospel. Paul and Silas knew that God could have prevented them from being beaten. God could have prevented them from being thrown in prison in the first place. But he chose not to do that. He chose not to do so. And they trusted that he had another purpose in mind. They trusted his character And they trusted that he had a purpose and a plan. And we know that he did. We see, ultimately, the conversion of the Philippian jailer. And their purpose there, they could understand later on as they look back. Paul later wrote to the Philippians. And the Philippian jailer was probably in this church that he wrote to. And his aim was that with all boldness, Christ would even now as always be exalted in his body whether by life or by death. And Paul trusted God to work for his purpose and for his glory. And whether Paul got delivered or whether he died in the process, he wanted God to be glorified. He wanted God to be glorified. And the real issue when we're being treated badly is do we trust in the sovereign, omnipotent God? who could have prevented that situation even if he wanted to. Do we trust in that sovereign God? And if you do, if you do, then the next issue is to pray. Lord, use this difficult situation for your glory to further your purpose. Is that how we pray? Do we trust the Lord that He has a purpose in our pain? Whenever Paul wrote as a prisoner, he never said, Paul a prisoner of the scoundrel Caesar who has unjustly put me in prison. Now Paul always said I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I am his servant. He is my master. He is my Lord. And he will use my afflictions any way he chooses. Because he is a good God. Because he is a wise God. Because he is omnipotent. Because he is sovereign. God could easily have overruled Caesar if He wanted to. But He chose to use these situations and use the government and use the leaders in Paul and Silas' life to bring them to prison for a purpose. And look at the fruit. Look at the fruit that this attitude produces. Verse 33 tells us that the Philippian jailer and his household believed and they were baptized that same night. In God's providence, the Spirit of the Lord used the afflictions that Paul and Silas faithfully endured to open the hearts of those lost pagans and to bring them to faith in Jesus. Notice sir, you will never know what the prison experiences of life are doing to those around you. You may never know. And as the world watches you walk in victory despite your problems, their faith will be be stirred up. Their convictions will be stirred by the Spirit of God, by watching your faith, by watching you respond in difficult times. And that is why it is essential that believers learn to patiently trust the Sovereign Lord with the trial they are facing and to endure the trials that the Lord blesses us with. And friends, we can neither either fight against what God is doing and suffer or we can rest in what He is doing and have the victory. And those are the choices that we, that we face every single day. Look with me at James. Turn with me please to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. In verse 2, James, the apostle, talks about trials, talks about suffering, tells us how we are to respond to these sufferings that we face. And he says in verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Well, then in verse 1, the word count is is a financial term. It is an accounting term. And it means to evaluate. Evaluate. Evaluate your joy. That is what James is telling us to do. James says to us, count it all joy. And he encourages his readers to evaluate the way that we look at trials. And he calls believers to really develop a different attitude, an improved attitude that considers trials from God's perspective, not from man's perspective. And James wants believers to know, to expect, that we will suffer trials of various kinds. Not just one sort of trial. Various kinds of trials in the Christian life. And we should be prepared, he says. We should not be caught off guard. When we face sudden trials. Because the Bible doesn't promise that if we become a Christian, we will be without pain, that we will be without suffering. God uses trials for His glory. And if you've heard that teaching elsewhere, it is a false teaching. Trials are part of the Christian experience. And Jesus Himself told His disciples, In this world, you will have trouble. In John 16. From Jesus Himself. And James tells us to count these trials all joy. To count them all joy. When we go through trials, evaluate the difficulties that we are facing in life with a different perspective. With eyes of faith. And see them in light of God's good purposes. During World War II, Dr. Viktor Frankl was imprisoned by the Nazis because he was a Jew. And his wife and children and parents were all killed in the Holocaust. And at one point, the prison guards, they cut his wedding band off his finger. And Frankl said to himself, Well, you can take away my wife. You can take away my children. You can strip me of my clothes and my freedom. But there is one thing no person can ever take away from me. And that is my freedom to choose how I will react to what happens to me. And Christians, we have the freedom and blessing to choose, to trust the sovereign Lord in our suffering. To look at our trials from a different perspective, from God's perspective. That He is using them intentionally for a purpose, for His purpose. And He will use these trials for His glory. If we trust Him. My third and last point we see in verse 37 to verse 40. When we are treated badly, we need to be wise. When we are treated badly, we need to be wise and know when and how to stand up for our rights. Look at verse 37 back in Acts chapter 16. Verse 37 says, But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates. And the magistrates were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Well, the keeper of the prison is the jailer that God saved the night before. And he was the one, according to verse 36, who got to tell Paul the good news of his release. And he was probably very excited to tell Paul what was going on, that he was going to be set free. And we don't really know why from the passage, why the magistrates changed their minds and why they were willing to release Paul and Silas. We don't know this. But at this point, notice Paul says no. Paul says no. I'm not ready to leave. I'm not leaving. He says in verse 37, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens. Now The word un- uncondemned means that they were punished Without a trial, they were punished without being tried. And even slaves during the Roman times under Roman law had a right to be heard, had a right to go to trial. And why did Paul do this? That, this is a question. How is this kind of related to the rest of the text? You know, is Paul being arrogant here? Is he being an arrogant Christian standing up for his his rights? I think what Paul is doing rather than just letting this go, I think he's doing this to assure some measure of protection for the young church that is still meeting at Lydia's house. And this is in his power to do something for them. If Paul and Silas had just left after being publicly humiliated, it would have been harder for the church. They would have faced the same types of persecution. But if Paul and Silas actually received a measure of apology from the magistrates, there wouldn't be so much ridicule upon the Christians um, in the church at that time. And Paul knew that by making them come and personally apologize and personally escort them out of the, the prison, the word would spread. Word would spread through the community of what had, had happened. And it would be a very long time before these officials would beat another man without a a trial. And they really were standing for justice here. They were standing to protect the the young church, the infant church. By making these officials realize that they had committed a serious offense against Roman citizens, Paul ensured that the Christians wouldn't face the same trouble in Philippi. And also, if he wanted to come back again, he knew that he would not be prevented to do so. And so he stood on his rights in order to protect the church and the cause of Christ in that city. And the police reported these words to the magistrate. What happened? They were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. Now verse 38 says the magistrates were afraid. These men were afraid not because of what they thought Paul would do to them, but because of what they thought Rome might do to them. Philippi, we know, was a Roman colony. And that meant that they had to follow Roman law. And Roman law made it a crime to inflict blows on the Roman citizens. In fact, um, Emperor Claudius had taken away the city of Rhodes' privileges for crucifying one of the Roman citizens. And they might be in big trouble if Rome found out what they were doing. We see this lesson here. I think that sometimes... Our trials and our circumstances, we think, are so rough and so difficult because we have our eyes on our own problems a little too much, a little too much. But notice that even in this trial, Paul and Silas weren't thinking about themselves. They weren't thinking about how unjustly they were being treated. They were thinking of their brothers and sisters In the church at Philippi. Verse forty tells us that the little church in Philippi had been meeting in Lydia's house. And what did they do when they visited them after being released? Verse forty tells us. They comforted them. They comforted them. You think the church would be comforting Paul and Silas who had just been in prison. Paul and Silas were comforting the church. Paul and Silas had just been beaten and just been whipped the day before. Just they were the ones who were thrown into jail. And they're comforting the brethren in Lydia's house. I think we have to talk this truth into ourselves. And it might sound a little harsh sometimes. But we need to get our eyes off ourselves. We need to get our eyes off ourselves. God's desire is that we receive comfort from Him. And then we turn around and we give the comfort to others. We comfort others. We help others because we're able to understand what they've gone through. These trials give us credibility. They give us people's ears that we can speak truth into them. Listen to what Paul, the one who had been in jail, writes. Look at, turn with me to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says to this church, in verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. How? With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Underline those verses if you haven't already in your Bible. Some wrongly teach that we should never defend ourselves either legally or against aggressive attacks against our character or or in person. But Paul is writing this letter here to the Corinthian church to defend his character. He's defending his apostolic ministry here. And all I can say here is that when we are treated unjustly, our response should be motivated by the furtherance of God's glory and the gospel. Our response shouldn't be to vindicate ourselves, our response should be to further the gospel and God's glory. And I think the main application of this story for me is to work on having joy in every situation. Is to work on having joy in the Lord in every situation. Real joy. Genuine joy. And really everything else will flow from that. Everything else will flow from that. And if I radiate His joy because I have entrusted my soul to Him, the faithful Creator, then even when I'm badly treated, He will be glorified and others will be drawn to the Savior. If I know Him and I am His and I can put my trust in Him as His child, He will look after me Is our faith in the Sovereign Lord. Are we wanting to glorify Him in difficult times? The late Romanian pastor, maybe you've heard of Richard Vermbrandt. He spent 14 years in prison for preaching the gospel, three times in solitary confinement in a, in a dark cell. And his captors smashed four of his vertebrates, and they either cut or burned 18 holes in his body, but they could not defeat him. And he testified. He said, alone in my cell, cold, hungry, and in rags, I danced for joy every night. During this time, he asked a fellow prisoner whom he had led to Christ before they were both arrested. He said, have you any resentment against me that I brought you to Christ? And the man in the cell who had faced similar persecutions to him responded and said, I have no words to express my thankfulness that you brought me to the wonderful Savior. I would never have it any other way. And may God enable us, folks, when we suffer trials, when we go through pain or when we are mistreated, to imitate these men of God who entrusted their souls to a faithful Creator in doing what was right, in knowing that He would be glorified through that situation if we responded accordingly. May God be glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him, especially during the trials, especially during the pain, especially during the difficult times that we face. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes, that we may see wonderful things in your law. Open our eyes wide enough that we may see your great faithfulness. Lord, give us seeing hearts today. And even in our sadness, even in our cancer, even in our pain, that we may glorify you. Use our lives, Lord. May we not waste our lives on petty immature responses that don't do any good for anybody but help us Lord to respond in ways that will glorify you especially when it's hard especially when it's difficult especially to our children especially to our spouses and especially to those that we work with may they see Christ in us, may they see our love for our Saviour who has redeemed us and has purchased us for his possession. May we not waste our lives, Lord, but may we use them for your glory, even in the pain. Open our eyes, Lord, that we may see and that you may be glorified. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.